you smell that, Logan? No. Love is in the air. <laughs> because unlike our normal process where we uh-huh. record live, we're actually recording on Valentine's Day. Yeah. It's the season of love, everybody. And we've actually got, you know, a a a little bit of a Valentine's themed episode we do. Uh, coming yeah. on the way for mostly for the ladies, but Valentine's Day is mostly for the ladies. Yeah. Valentine's Day. Um but uh you know, I just think it's good this time of year to be to be thankful for the the people in our lives that that we love, you know. We're both in happy romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. You with Jen, you guys have been going strong for over 3 years, right? Yeah. Um I with Emma, similar similar length of time, just got engaged. That's yes. very cool. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, it's it's more you know, I think we forget around this time of year to to express the love we have for our other um, other partners in life. And you know, I have a great partner right here in Logan, and uh-huh. I know Logan loves me because I do. I because do. just last night he he revealed to me that for the last two months he's been uh, um, plugging away at Gundam, which he knows I love, uh, just so that he could catch up with me and uh, you know watch the watch some of the movies with me. So. <laughs> That's how I know Logan loves me. That's the only way I know Logan loves that's me, really. Old, but yeah, of all the things I've done, that is the only <laughs> way you figured that out. Right, it's taken but, a while. But you know, I I just want you, Logan, to know that I love you too. Okay. And I want to express that by asking you to be a groomsman at my wedding. Whole? Are you? S- yeah. <laughs> I'm 100% serious. Absolutely, and man. Actually, to commemorate that, I'd like you to have this. Um, you can describe for the folks at home what you're looking at. Holy shit. Uh, it is a beer mug that says, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? you piece of shit. When did you make this? I had it made. It's I a, have a guy. It's a nice kind of Guinness looking font that just says Logan's. And then it says at the end, weeb, merch, and pub. <laughs> well, I know you love beer. You're a big beer guy. And I know you're a weeb. So <laughs> put, them, put them both together. I, I can't say I'm not as if I didn't spend the last month or so watching Gundam. <laughs> so I guess I guess that's the point. Well, shit, man. <laughs> I was not expecting. <laughs> I was waiting to see what the. I was like, this is so wholesome and genuine. It has to not. It has to twist to the south. But no, holy shit, no. man! Thank you so much. Of course, thank you. I, uh, I assume you're you're absolutely to do it. Okay. yes, yeah. yes. I took the mug. I feel like of that's course. the right, indication. Right. Yeah, Can't it'd be rude it if I took the mug. And no didn't give say backsies yes. now. No backsies. But I love you, buddy. I love and you too. Thank you. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. But anyway, that's that was my my secret cold open. Okay. So we good. can uh, we can get to the good stuff. Now. I do love too that that was your in your mind that was your version of like how you remembered it's Valentine's Day because we're doing this podcast. Well, for me, it was YouTube recommending me Pony by Genuine as I drove into work today. Amazing. And I was like, oh, it's perfect. The it's algorithm knows. Absolutely. Because, hello, everyone. I'm Logan Sowash. <laughs> and I'm Andy Carr. And this is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And on Odd Trilogies, we take a trio of films, whether tied by numerical order, cast and crew, thematic elements. We go through each film and discuss the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And just like Andy said, well, it could be for the men as well. It could be for anyone <laughs> who's course. down for it. This is definitely an episode that we pick specifically for Valentine's Day, you know, the time of year and for the ladies, because today we are talking about the one of two trilogies that <laughs> Steven Soderbergh has under his belt. Yes. One of them is the Oceans trilogy, and today what we're talking about, the Magic Mike trilogy. We are talking about 2012's Magic Mike, 2015's Magic Mike X, XL, I think I said XL when we yes. did the last episode, yeah. so I said it incorrectly. 
and then 2023's Magic Mike's Last Dance. What a weird trilogy, but yeah. thankfully, very consistent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Weirdly shockingly consistent. consistent. Out of all the trilogies we really cover, and this was a trilogy that like I thought would be fun because I think like a lot of people, and apparently even Soderbergh and Tatum for one point did not expect to even do a third film. Sure. So like when they when they announced this and saw the trailer for the first time, it was like oh, this is perfect. Yeah. This is perfect to do for the podcast. And in case you all don't know. You know, Magic Mike is a drama, comedy, romance series. Yeah, it's sweat, it's, it's muscle, it's, it's mainly gyration sweating. and beautiful yeah. human motion. Yes, uh, a big dick, specifically right. in the first two films. Yes. Because uh, they have a character literally named Big Dick Richie. Only virtually present in the third film. Yeah, uh, yeah, virtually. Um, but it's a series where basically Channing Tatum plays the titular magic Mike mm-hmm. as he tries to start his you know up and coming furniture company while also being a very popular male stripper <laughs> in Florida yeah at Tampa I think I think the first it two... starts in Tampa or it... do they move down to Tampa uh no they moved to Miami they moved to Miami yeah, yeah. It starts third... in Tampa yes yeah. so it's interesting because magic Mike is kind of a fun film in Soderbergh's filmography because Soderbergh is a f- Honestly, I think the best way to describe Soderbergh in every way is fascinating. Yeah. Because what's so crazy about, like, in the process of this trilogy is that by the time we get to Last Dance, from 2012 to last year, Soderbergh, a man that said right before doing Magic Mike that he was going to retire from directing, <laughs> uh, makes 10 different pieces of media, including, like, a 20-episode series yeah. on Showtime called The Nick, mm-hmm. does a bunch of films, including the magic mike xxl right but of all of his films he's most notably known for mainly the oceans films yeah i would say those are definitely like the most high profile yeah and if you were a big pan if you were watching contagion Uh, during the pandemic that's also soderbergh uh he's the he's the iphone director um he made he's made a few movies on iphone he made unsane and then netflix's high flying bird i think are both shot on iphones he's a man that clearly just when he does something he is a full-blown on board and whether it works or not doesn't matter to him sure like he's, he's it's a project it's, it's, it's a project like it's him. a way to grow himself yeah. or try something yeah. new and i appreciate that about him he's yeah. very much like a working man's director absolutely it's like he's just constantly on to the next thing it's, it's actually, not like it's i'm a, gonna build my career toward this movie and this is the culmination of that's, my that's expression. a good point you say that because uh i actually in the process of this episode uh i found an exit interview with vulture uh, written by matt zollerseitz named oh. it's called steven soderbergh can't quit magic mike highly recommend wa- reading the interview because it's very fascinating because it's just what starts is soderbergh talking about the process for the last film which we'll get into more in the third film sure which in case anyone here doesn't realize we are definitely going to spoil parts of last dance <laughs> if not all of it yeah um he basically starts talking about Magic Mike, and then ultimately, at a certain point, just goes into talking about his own kind of way of seeing stuff. Oh yeah. And this is what I'm interested about: is like he talks about himself as a director and says something like, "I don't have a grandiosity gene. As far as I'm concerned, I've never made anything that someone would look at and go, I can't do that the way I do when I look at something like Come and See. That hmm. requires a way of thinking not only around the world but about yourself as an artist that I don't have. I'm more earthbound." 
I don't have the ability to make Apocalypse Now. What I am capable of is an entire body of work that someone might look at and go, okay, that's hard, that's tricky to do that much and keep that level of quality consistent. That's the best I could hope for. <laughs> and that's kind of, a, I think that's a perfect way to describe Soderbergh, because again, for a man that has made 10 different projects, most of those films in a decade-long basis, yeah, 11 if you count Last Dance, they he really hasn't had an issue with consistency there. It seems like most people enjoy those films. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, like, you know, he's he's had plenty of, like, kind of mild reception movies. Yes. But it's like he's he not have... really an ebb and flow guy. Like, he, no, he makes no. kind of consistently pretty good, sometimes really great, just depending on who you are. And, yeah, it's not like he makes – he doesn't really make movies for everybody. He makes movies yeah. for whatever he – wants to make at that moment mm -hmm. oh, which yeah. is interesting because his movies span such a wide range yeah. of of just experience and perspective yeah. the, the interview does a good job too of talking about uh just the fact that like he doesn't he keeps saying he has a retired date but he really is just like <laughs> whenever i kind of lose interest yeah when i lose the when i lose the grind and the passion that's probably when i'll stop but yeah yeah to go back into magic mike what's what's fascinating about magic mike in that regard is the fact that like this feels like this should be – I don't know the best way to say this. It's You'd think it'd be a sluttier film than it actually is. Yeah. It is very sensual. It is very sexual. It is very much like, of course, there's a reason why these films come out on Valentine's like, <laughs> right, kind of right. area. And people in mainly a female demographic, it seems, it pushes towards. But in terms of the content of the films, it is quite fascinating that they're really just dramas about a man who is having an existential crisis, at least in that first film. Yeah. Well, and they're pretty tame. I mean, like, okay, so they f they show the, you know, the professional kind of art of stripping and dancing yes. in its yes. full, you know, they show the whole, all the routines and all the grandiosity and eroticism of that. But, like, when it comes to, like, actual erotic scenes in the film, it's mm -hmm. very tame. Um, yeah. Like, these are not, I mean, they're not, like, I don't know, hard R graphic sex movies or anything like yeah. that. It's very much, like, I kind of appreciate that the perspective of the films is almost like somebody observing professional dancers, yes. professional strippers. Yeah. It's like, this is an mm -hmm. art, this is a craft and a job, and I'm portraying it to you. Yeah, it's one of those And that's the cool part about yeah. it. Yeah, well, and again, it's, it makes sense, because, like, Soderbergh is a lot of... A lot of the stuff he loves films about just making things or doing things. Yeah, like literally, people in very specific kind of yeah crafts or or uh, experiences. He likes films about people making plans, <laughs> yeah. doing things, yeah. and then Magic Mike. A lot of the most interesting stuff because what's also kind of weird about Magic Mike in a fun way is the fact that Mike himself is not the full blown protagonist. It feels like the film is taking kind of like double duty. Half the work is for Mike, and the other half is for uh, Adam, played by Alex Pettifer, who's yeah. also known as the Kid, right. because basically Mike takes a 19-year-old under his wing, who seems to be pretty good at being a male stripper, and so of course mm -hmm. the Kid is how we, as an audience, get introduced more into the stripping side of things and kind right. of like the process of becoming a stripper. While Mike's side is more like the, it's like the pros and cons of being a stripper. Yeah. Where the Kid, yeah. you see the pros, where it's like you know. Women just want you. You get all the tips. You get a lot of money. Yeah. You know, sometimes maybe you'll go back with a woman that you're really interested in. Like, yeah. especially as a 19-year-old, it feels like this is the best job ever. Why don't we go to school for this? <laughs> right, right. 
plus Mike is in his early 30s mm-hmm. trying to start a business and he has no credit. Yeah. Because he works with mainly cash because he's a male stripper. Right. Well, it's and he's just kind of like the time. Yeah, he's kind of disillusioned with it. Like, he's really good yeah. at it. He's really dedicated himself to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems to enjoy, like, actually dancing and stripping. Yes. But it's like that being his career is clearly no longer fulfilling him. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of get, yeah, like you said, a dual perspective. And it's really interesting how this movie almost starts feeling like like at the beginning kind of feels like oh yeah uh adam or the kid is our main character and we're yeah. following him mm-hmm. and then as the movie goes on it's kind of leans harder onto mike and it's like mm-hmm. oh okay as we get introduced into this world of dancers we're also kind of shifting into a more kind of mature weathered perspective which is interesting yeah because that latter half of the film is very much seems like we get more mike when we realize that he is to a degree prepping his replacement possibly yeah so like when it comes to the point where he could probably just wipe his hands clean of the stripping business and do his own thing will he take that chance Mm -hmm. because while the kid is making bad decisions He's still making money and doing good at what he does, and he learns from his mistakes and promises to pay Mike back yeah. when he makes a really dumb mistake. <laughs> but it is it is fascinating to think that like the the Magic Mike films, where it's like you know, it's a lot of the kind of the advertising and marketing, and like I think of like the that video Conan did where he's like, he crashes like a bunch of his female employees (laughs) going to magic Mike XXL, a screening and whatnot where it's like the super, the, you know, sexy, sultry, like, Oh, don't leave your husbands at home. Ladies. (laughs) It's Galentine's type of film. And then you just watch magic Mike. And there's a whole moment where he finds out that the woman he's kind of interested in has been using him to like basically cheat on her fiance. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, what the fuck is this film again? Yeah, it's and it, it works. I mean, that's the does, thing too. Yeah. It mainly works, and I think I mean, there's two things that I think are definitely like could be changed. One is the color yellow. <laughs> um, then we bring this up. The whole because, movie looks like it was shot through a glass of beer. Yeah, it, it looks like it's like sometimes it's piss yellow, sometimes it's like pilsner yellow. It is just like it also seems fascinating too because in later films it just goes away. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure because I know Soderbergh is the head is the DP in both XXL and Last Dance. I assume he's the DP in this. I believe so. Because like it's just, but it's so funny to think that like when people talk about Magic Mike and its issues, there is one specifically we will definitely get into and it's <laughs> with a specific character. But very little seemed to talk about the fact that this film looks like that it's shot specifically through a single primary color at all times. Yeah. Even when it really shouldn't. Yeah. Like the, it just... the only times it really escapes from that is like inside the club when they've got like the purple and blue lights That's going on. That's like the on. only time. And even then it's kind of yeah. like the whites of the scene are still mm-hmm. kind of yellow. Because Yeah, because when you go to the backstage where everyone's getting prepped it's for the next like show. It's all like fluorescent lights. Yeah, it's yeah. all yellow again. It just yeah. feels like it's, it's funny because it does have the Soderbergh look. Like if you out there feels very lo-fi yes like if you think of like the stylish kind of Soderbergh kind of eye you get that in Magic Mike for sure kind of little fly on the wall perspectives and fishbowl or fish eye lenses but if you're thinking about a Soderbergh that also likes to play with color a lot you're not going to get a lot of that in this one because it's mainly unless you love 
love the color yellow because you get multiple different hues yeah. in this film. And when you think you're just gone, when it's like pitch dark and you think, oh, maybe there's a different... <laughs> nope, it's yellow. Yeah. A lot of yellow. And well, it's, it's hard to... You know, sometimes when you're analyzing a movie, it's like easiest to just kind of assume every every aspect of the movie was like deliberate or had a purpose. Oh yeah, especially um, with Soderbergh. Right, because he's so meticulous. Um, and so like I don't know, reaching here, but like I feel like maybe potentially what he was trying to go for with the yellow was in part capturing kind of the climate of the region you know that kind of warm sunny yes uh, oh for sure no yeah puts you in the setting but also like i don't know this could be more of a me association but like i associate like kind of glaring yellow you know pea soup lights with like a day that just drags like stagnation you're sitting in the office and the lights are humming over your head and you're just Mm miserable can't wait to get out of it and that's kind of what mike is going through yes he is and also it also i think of that type of yellow too is like the sun's coming down yeah like the day's about to end yeah Yeah, and golden hour yeah it's also like what yeah because when i think of florida i think of three different ways you can shoot florida in terms of like (laughs) basic not basic but like you know understanding like there's this version which i agree with i think that's that's probably what soderbergh's trying to do there some part of it anyway yeah there's burn notice classic yeah. usa show that's based yeah. it's supposed to be based in miami that's how like the vibe you know and there's also florida project right where you don't want florida to look that great <laughs> almost as stark as possible yeah just like the whole movie kind of looks like the crackling facades of the hotels yeah. you got like magic mike what i think is probably the most romanticized of the three options and I, again, not saying that the the yellow doesn't work. It's just like at a certain point, we it, couldn't help but just be surprised at like how many times yeah. it's just yellow. It's not exactly pleasant to look at. And yeah. so while it, it yeah. succeeds in conveying, I think, probably what he's trying to convey, yeah. it also kind of overstays its welcome. Yeah, I may be, I may be biased because my favorite primary color is red. Okay. But even then... What if this whole film was red? How would that then make you feel? Then it's a Nicholas Winning Reffin film. That's and then true. Even, and then even then, I feel like even then I'd be like, that's a lot of red. Or it's in fabric. Or it's in fabric, and I don't need to see either one Strippers right in, in fabric. Oh, yeah. my God. That, the director of in fabric doing a stripping film would be horrifying, <laughs> and I'd be there day of. Yeah. Um... Um, but the other problem with the film, I would say this is the biggest problem overall of the film, is uh, the main love interest. And I put, right. I'm put i putting quotations around love interest <laughs> because it's, mm, it's weird. Because I think halfway through the film, I don't, I, I remember, I swear we had a conversation where it was like, I, they're not really doing well with this as a love interest. And then you were like, is she really the love interest though? Yeah, and it's yeah. like, I don't know. You caught on to clearly what they were trying to do earlier than I did. Clearly the film is so ineffective in conveying the chemistry there that I didn't even think yeah. that's what was happening. I oh. was like, oh, he's just trying to get on the, the kid's older sister good side to yeah, you know, build that trust, you know, since he's taking care of her little brother. And then you were like, yeah, they're not really trying to make this a love story, are they? And I was like, oh, you know what? I hope not. Because, because (laughs) like, he is, he is, because the big thing about the the main love interest of the first film is Adam's older sister, name escapes me. Brooke. Brooke, yes. A B, I remember Brooke. Yeah. 
uh, played by, do you have the cast up? But regardless, uh, played by who hopefully is a very nice woman. And I'm <laughs> sorry that you had to deal with probably a lot of the criticism that people threw at you. Cause uh, in, Cody Horn. Cody, Cody Horn. We've Be- seen in a few things. I, but... I have two. Oh, she's but... in End of Watch. Oh, yes. that's And The I've Office. Seen. She's a, like a temp in The Office oh, in wow. one of the later seasons. No I idea. forgot about that. No, but, uh, I mean, with her, she plays a love interest that feels very disinterest in every moment until the yeah. very end. And when it happens at the very end, it's like you see an inkling of what the rest of the film could have been. Right. And it just feels a little too yeah. late. Like, like, on one sense, it's kind of, it's a nice little ending because it's like, oh, yeah. we get a little bit of that, that warmth, that human mm-hmm. connection. But yeah, it's so late and so last second. And we've been waiting to see real chemistry between them that it's like, okay, you just teased the movie I wanted to see. Yeah, I think it's just a miscast, full-blown. Yeah. I think yeah. it's just it's just one of those things. Could very like, well be. Because I thought in my head, I was like, what if we had like a 50% trying Florence Pugh? Like she's trying to do kind of like... <laughs> You know, as far as Pew ever fifty percent tried, but in a that's movie what that I but seen. that's what I mean. No, she hasn't. But I feel okay. like, but I feel like it's the chemistry there that is the most important. And we'll talk more yeah. about chemistry later because really only one of these films does chemistry well, right? In terms of the lead, but with Brooke, it is unfortunate because it's like a a decent part of XXL and a lot of the choices that Mike Mike makes is because of his relationship with Brooke. Yeah. At a certain which point, is you're just almost like, entirely off screen. Yes. Because again, there was, there are rumors and I don't think it's ever been fully said out loud and I doubt they would ever say it, but for the sequel, Brooke never shows up. It's just like, despite the fact that magic Mike ends with Brooke and Mike hooking up and, uh, becoming a, uh, become a couple and ultimately Mike wanting to propose to her at some point in XXL, nothing happens. And it's pretty clear that a possible reason why is because a lot of critics and a lot of fans of, I think the first film did not like her, did not like her performance, didn't like her character. And so ultimately just to save some time, cut it out entirely. What we got instead in XXL, I don't think is really that much better it's pretty weak as well but yeah. even then it's, it's like, like it's it's l- even less compelling but it eats up yes. less screen time yes. so it's not as much of a detraction it, it actually um, goes it, it does the the classic flip of is this gonna be is there really gonna force this into like oh no yeah, i guess this is just for the boys right cool whatever um, but yeah i i think to add to kind of the brook issue um I do think it's largely a casting issue. I don't think it's really, um, and I'm not accusing you of saying this, um, I don't think it's really an acting issue. No, um, no, no, no. uh, But I do think it is casting. I also think it very well could be how the character's written on the page. Um, Because she's clearly written to be kind of a stick in the mud. That is the the conflict throughout the movie is Mike trying to get over her wall. Yeah. Um, and she's got this really kind of dull, not not dull, but like very normal person personality in oh, this yeah. world of strippers and Absolutely. kind of exotic people, mm-hmm. um, exotic careers anyway. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, it's like this weird kind of, okay, you want to have this obstacle or you want to have this woman, this character be the obstacle. Mm-hmm. But then at the last second, you want to make us try and feel that for some reason and yeah. it just doesn't really work there, you, you need more of an external source of, yeah and, and again I, I, I don't i'm not saying she's a bad actor no i, think, I was not I think saying that i just think it's the wrong role yeah. and i think especially with the direction because i think of two scenes specifically where i'm like 
if this was a different actress, I think just even just someone even someone who's overacting in those scenes, I feel like they're ultimately better because I feel like you're getting more across conveying what you want to. Yeah. And that is the scene where Brooke is watching Mike do pony for the first time. Oh yeah. When they're doing the first dance and when Mike is can basically saying, "I'm do you think I'm magic Mike right now talking to you like basically trying to confront her and mm-hmm. vent at the same time where it's like these are two emotional moments. The first one is basically her realizing as a character holy shit, I'm kind of into this guy, mm-hmm. just in a sexual sense. Because at that point, she's he's just Adam's friend. Right. He's just like a goofball. And the way that, yeah, the way that Mike acts a lot of the time, initially, it's almost like I wouldn't be surprised if she's supposed to pretend like he, she thinks he's almost the same age as Adam. Yeah. Like they act like brothers. Yeah, right, right. And this is the first moment when she sees him do Pony, um, where she's like, fuck, I think I might really like this guy. But if you watch that... When I was watching that it scene, really look like that. Yeah, it just it's it's there's so it's very clearly like they're supposed to be very nuanced in the yeah. face, and she's trying to hold everything in. But what ultimately happens is nothing really gets yeah. conveyed. You the, just have to assume the character is meant to be hard to read within the world. Two other characters, yeah. But what she ends up being is hard to read for the audience. Yeah, and it's like okay, I'm not I can't get anything from you i don't understand Mm -hmm. what's happening and then she's so cold yeah and then with the with the scene where mike is venting to her after the whole thing with adam basically not oh does adam does he technically od uh or does it just like yeah they don't i don't think they really say but i i don't i mean he doesn't have to go to the hospital he doesn't go to the hospital but i think he just gets sick from doing so much yeah drugs when like when he when mike makes a bad decision and ultimately adam yeah. Like takes too many drugs and scares the shit out of Brooke and Mike has to basically like Brooke at that point, like when Mike is confessing to her and talking to her and pretty much putting out on the table, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I just yeah. I want to do something that's either stripping or furniture and it's hard <laughs> to find something in between because you really can't do either. Right. You can't do both together in that scene. It seems like it's almost supposed to be like she's supposed to be like like still very mad at him. And but also try to be as supportive as possible while still being pissed. Mm-hmm. But in that scene, she almost comes off as elitist, yeah, like and dismissive. condescending, yeah, yeah, dismissive. And it's like that doesn't feel like what she's right. Because like and then because like next time you see her after that is when he goes to her apartment in the finale, mm-hmm. and it's like after that, yeah, um, it's like she goes, "Hey, what are we gonna do until we go get breakfast?" And it's like. Oh, so you do want to fuck him? <laughs> yeah. I'm news to me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, but other than those two things, like you have a cast that is having a fun time. I mean, Matthew McConaughey is just hamming yeah. it up. His whole thing about no touching, you know, <laughs> we got a lot of rules here, but I see a lot of rule, a lot of law breakers. Right, right. Like he is such a piece of shit, but so charismatic. It's so great yeah. to see him as Dallas. Alex Pettifer as the kid, I think, is also really good. Yeah, he does well. I like the how the kid's a little underdeveloped. But yes, yeah, I mean, he does a good job. I mean, to be honest, if there is if there's another issue I could bring up is I think everybody is a bit underdeveloped. Especially yeah, because I mean, I I would go so far as to say, and this is kind of a recurring issue until at least the trilogy completes, is like Mike, Mike himself. Yes, um, is kind of like he's Mike is insanely likable. Yes. For a character who does not have that much to him, at least yet. Yeah. Um, and that's largely Channing Tatum. I oh, think. absolutely. He's just Channing. great. Um, he's yeah. kind of channeling a little bit of like 
Jim Halper energy and that he's yes. like a little bit of a stinker, but he's a nice guy and good hearted and just wants to succeed. Oh yeah. Um, but he's a little bit himbo. Um, he's very, very humble and yeah. I think he approaches very authentic and how he yeah. approaches Mike and in most, I mean, honestly, in a lot of the comedic roles that he plays or it's are roles that are more comedic leaning, mm-hmm. he just, it just feels like he's very much in on the joke or is yeah. fine with making fun of himself. Yeah. And I do love the fact that in all three of these films, when Mike is able to be a goof, it just seems like Channing is just perfect at doing that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, one of the last things I've seen him in, I think the one thing I saw him in last year was uh, spoilers for Bullet Train, but he does a fucking cameo in Bullet Train. Uh, I and forgot about that. his whole thing is just like thinking that Brad Pitt wants to do butt stuff. Yeah. And it's like the way he, the way he... He's playing a character that obviously wants to have sex with Brad Pitt, but doesn't want to admit that he wants to. <laughs> and just the awkwardness and the stiffness and just the few minutes he's in Bullet Train as a yeah. cameo is just funny enough as is. So, like, when you see him in, like, you know, I think in XXL, there's a moment where he just, like, he calls himself Magic Mike in front of Amber Heard, the love interest in that, and does, like, a little spin. Mm-hmm. And it's so fucking corny, but he just commits <laughs> to it. Like, he's... I mean, three also has that too. Yeah. I mean, one of the best lines, in my opinion, in three is when <laughs> Selma Hayek's daughter says, "Like, well, what are you gonna? What do you think about the third act?" And he goes, "We'll, we'll have one." Yeah. Where <laughs> it's like, "Oh, there's gonna be one." Like, it's yeah. just like he's he is definitely the one keeping this character alive. And right. It's clearly what the role is made for. Yeah. And- I I think on a basic level, in each one of those movies, or each one of these movies. All we really get about Mike is like what what he wants in a very general way. You know, in this movie, he wants to kind of move on and start his business and do something else with his life. Yeah. But like he doesn't really advance toward that. No. I mean, um, and he doesn't kind of learn anything about how to do that. Yeah. He doesn't like progress, really. All he does is woo a girl who is kind of a wooden pole. Um, yeah, and even and, then, it's kind of shocking that he lose that right. pole. And so there's no, there's not, not that every every movie needs a lesson or a, you know, whatever. No, no, but no. it's like there's no change of perspective or growth really. It's just kind of like it's like a character study in mm-hmm. which the character doesn't accomplish anything. Yeah, the only <laughs> or I mean, feel it, yeah, the really. biggest move he makes in the in the first film is ultimately like just cutting ties yeah when he cuts ties and he decides to yeah like, he makes a big yes. decision for himself i guess yeah. that's the big thing but it but it's we still don't very... really see him arrive at that conclusion it's kind of like it's just going on in the background while we're paying attention to the kid he's and just then yeah, it's like he, oh mike's gonna leave he has like a pissed off kind of like face just silently in the corner and then he kind of just leaves and yeah it's implied that he's gone and I, I do think there's a moment at the end of the first film i think is well done where i think right before he leaves the kid recognizes that look yeah and knows what that means and just lets it happen and but ultimately this is a film where you know you have you have other male strippers that are played by you know uh kevin nash joe manganello (laughs) uh matt bomer uh you know all i think adam rodriguez yeah Uh, so and they're all named like tarzan tito ken (laughs) of course everyone's favorite big dick richie right and like I just assumed the first film would be just like amping them up for like what the sequel would be. Yeah. And they really 
the biggest scene that Manganello has as Big Dick Richie is that you see him pump the dick. He's got, in the a, foreground. He's got a penis pump, yeah, yeah, out of focus in one While shot. While the kid can is watching in horror because he cannot <laughs> believe how big it is. Can't take his eyes off. And it. then in Magic Mike XXL, you it's never you never see it. You don't you don't see his dick or you, they don't. Yeah. they talk about it that, to a degree. That shot, the out of focus penis pump, is it's like the, the lewdest thing in this entire trilogy. I mean, yeah. Because it gets more restrained as the trilogy goes on. Yeah. Um, Not in terms of, like, having fun, but, like, just in terms of the graphicness of the movie. It's kind of wild how if if there is a graph to show people when it comes to Magic Mike, you know, with the first film, it's very sexy and sultry. And by the end of it, it's just full-blown artistic and passion. Yeah. Like, cause in the middle point, uh, is there anything else we want to talk about with one? Cause we can just go right into XXL. Uh, yeah, I just, cause... yeah, I mean, just kind of as a transitional thing, you mentioned how the the other strippers are. Yeah, they're just kind of background there. decoration. Yeah. We like, if you don't remember any of their names, it's totally understandable because they're barely characters. Yeah. They're more just set dressing. And then XXL is just a movie about the boys. Like it's about oh. the gang oh. hanging out. Like if you if you came to me and like said like, "Hey Logan, this is Magic Mike. Uh, it's more of a drama than a comedy." And he's like, <laughs> "I wouldn't have expected it otherwise." And said, "Oh, by the way, Gabriel Iglesias is more of a character than all the male strippers in this film." And you go, "Oh, that's wild. I wouldn't have expected yeah. that." And then you go to XXL and go, "Hey Logan." Do you want a road trip comedy where it's a bunch of male strippers that get sidetracked every time they get yeah. in a vehicle and they just get lost until they get to a stripper convention right. at Myrtle Beach? That's it. Yeah. Magic Mike XXL is wild because it really is, to a degree, it is out of the three the dumbest by far. But my God, it's the most fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is the it most is. fun of all three. It is. I think, like, it's the lowest brow yes is a good way to put it yeah um but yeah it's just kind of like either gag or dance set piece after gag or dance set piece yeah for whatever how long what an hour and a half or two hours almost two hours because all three of the films are pushing two and yeah yeah, with xxl it's it's also the thing too that this is not soderbergh directed this is hilariously (laughs) this is produced shot and edited by Soderbergh with different pseudonyms for all his different... Which is something uh, he does on pretty much all his movies. And decided to give directing to one of his close producer friends, Gregory Jacobs, who Mm -hmm. produced the first film. And I think he did produce the first film as well. But um, it's... Because after the first Magic Mike, there's, you know, between one and two, there are three years. Mm -hmm. So, like, of course there's something you can do with this. If you don't want to do something with Brooke, that's fine. You can do more with the boys. And it, it like, in all honesty, like when we were going into XXL, we were like, all right, you know, I guess they're not doing anything with Brooke. I guess the kid's <laughs> not coming back. Yeah. Uh, maybe McConaughey will be in the sequel. I don't know. I just know the boys are here and that's all that matters. Uh-huh. And when you get into the film, it's even weirder than what you would expect because it's about the fact that McConaughey character dallas takes the kid and they're gonna go do stripping in macau yeah and so he basically dumps all of the all the other (laughs) boys behind all the older guys behind yeah and so before they go into the normal life like instead of building their own stripper business because i guess (laughs) none of them really have the forte of wanting to do that i think none of them are like leaders at heart 
No. And so they they just feel kind of aimless without somebody at the front. Which was Mike. Yeah. Because it was Mike in Dallas, really, that was yeah. f- like like leading the charge. And so as one last hurrah, it's like a almost like a bachelor party kind of energy. Yeah. They're going to go to Myrtle Beach to do the annual stripper convention. And that's all it's called is the stripper convention. Yeah. I, we, were, awesome. we were both just like, what is this going to be called? And it just says, like, it's a fucking hotel that says, welcome to the 2015 annual stripper convention. <laughs> and then like, you see, oh. yeah, you see, like, posters, and it just looks like it's just an inch away from being a straight porno, like, <laughs> li- like title, co- like, cover. Yeah. And it's like, what is this? And it, Like an adult film convention. Yeah, yeah. and what's but what's also crazy is, despite how silly uh, everything sounds like, despite, you know, how goofy the story is, this is also probably the most packed cast out of all three films. Yeah. Besides every one of the, the boys returning. Right. Uh, We're got, all pretty much. Pretty much all of them are more high profile at this point. Yes, because again, like with the first film, I think the first film makes nearly a little under 170 million total mm-hmm. on like a budget of seven. Yeah. So it makes a lot of money. It's a big hit, and so this film is like I think twice the budget. Mm-hmm. And you know, who do you have in this film, Andy? You got Shannon. You got Joe. You got Kevin, Matt, Adam. Maybe. All the boys are back. Gabriel back. Gabriel of Iglesias is back. But you know um, what? It's fun to see him come back. We've got Amber Heard. Amber Heard, who at okay. the time was not such a controversial mm-hmm. figure. Even um, though, but even then, I would say interesting choice. Yeah, yeah. Even for that time, um, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, who apparently I think I, you'd have to double check me uh, on this. I swear that her character Roman was originally. Supposed I believe it's to just be, Rome. Rome, I yeah. think it was supposed to be Jamie Foxx initially. Oh. And then he had to bow out. That, wow. And Jada Pinkett Smith. That kind of makes a lot of sense. Jada thought it wasn't going, like, Jada was like, oh, they're probably going to rewrite the character for me. Yeah. And Channing's like, no, I think you'd be perfect for this. We'll just keep it the just way it keep is. Just it. keep it. They do depart- add kind of a, like a. Sexual tension. A romantic history between yes. them or sexual history, which, uh, I mean, I guess could have been there with jamie fox but they make these tr- these movies make no other indication that no, no, no. that uh, mike is at all anything but heterosexual you got a uh, ex-nfl football player michael strahan michael strahan who uh, does a strip routine um uh, who is donald glover donald glover uh, elizabeth banks elizabeth plays the banks, convention lady uh andy mcdowell yeah. um that's it, yeah i mean it's just it's, name it's, after name it's, it really is just a film Whereas that the it's first like, one is like Channing Tatum, Matthew McConaughey, Olivia Munn. Yeah, Olivia Munn. It's and then like maybe some other people you might recognize if you watch a lot of TV. Yeah, and it's like with XXL, it is just full blown goofball for the boys. Like, we were losing it. We mm-hmm. laughed so hard. Yeah, this movie's hilarious. It's a funny ass film, and it's one of those films, too, where it's like, I think the two things that I remember from the marketing for this film were. The convenience store scene, which is great. Yeah, that was all love, over the place. Love the convenience store scene. And the shot of them all in jeans but shirtless walking on the stage because I think they, like, start the trailer with that. Yeah, and that's, like, the, like, the poster, too. Yeah. yeah, and so it's, like, those were the two shots that I was kind of only aware of. Maybe, right. oh, actually, Andy McDowell, too. They pushed her a lot, too, because, you know, it's it's for the moms. Yeah, they right, shown that, right. too, as well. But... Yeah, it's, gosh, I mean, it is. I mean, it's the. It is like by far the simplest, most yes. straightforward film. Oh. It's the oh. funniest, yes. and f- I think it's the fastest. Like it goes by the fastest. It, um, yeah, cl- I would say so. Just because it's kind it. of all right. 
goof, 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 dance, goof, goof, yeah, dance. This, uh, to a degree, this is like... It's just silly. If you were to ask me which Magic Mike film is closest to Homer's The Odyssey, it is, of course, <laughs> XXL. Because, my God, watching these grown men have this much difficulty just trying to get to Myrtle Beach yeah. is fucking hilarious. Yeah. And the fact that, like, every time we both were like, well, how the fuck... Are they gonna, they're gonna get to the convention, but like, they just they like they just crashed their car. What the fuck is they gonna do? We're yeah. just gonna leave Gabriel Iglesias behind, and we'll find <laughs> the, a new car. The movie does kind of present a, like an inordinate amount of obstacles for them to overcome. When it's like yeah. it's enough of an obstacle for them to just get there and have a dance to do because mm-hmm. they don't have a plan. But what's so funny too is like, <laughs> and then they get there and they have one day and they do the plan. Yeah. But what's funny too is like every single one of the boys has a specific type of arc and it's not anything deep whatsoever no. but it's but it's so vastly different from one another yeah. it's funny but as it's, hell it's clearly defined yes it's, they're distinct yes and they are delivered upon in the finale and it's like yeah that's all oh, you need like you need all of them just clearly set out there and paid off the finale was i mean i was talking to andy because again I mean, Andy had to put me out there when we watched Last Dance how much I love Channing Tatum's Spider Monkey. <laughs> but I, we were watching XXL, and I was just having a blast with all the dancing and being like, God damn, they really need – this last dance in the, in XXL needs to fucking bop because yeah. like, they just keep throwing things out that are really good. Yeah. And the last dance is like 30 minutes in right, XXL. Right. And it's like – five or six different dances yeah. intertwined with one another. Right. And it's just like, yeah, they, it works. <laughs> it really does work. And it kind of all comes together in a fun. Yeah. Each character basically gets their own individual dance. Yeah. And then of course, um, cause Mike kind of caps it all off with, um, mm-hmm. his dance. Yeah, Cause Kevin Nash is Tarzan. His big thing is he's always seen as the dummy because he's yeah. Tarzan and, and the brute. He's huge, yeah. but he's really, he's got a softer side, more of an artistic side. Right. He's also, his name is Ernest, yeah. which I love the fact that like, when you find out that none of the guys ever knew that, <laughs> um, you have Matt Bomer's Ken who wants to be an actor and has singing mm-hmm. capabilities and is really just like, also out of a divorce because yeah. like in because basically he had more of it he had an open relationship in the first film and then of course it didn't go anywhere so now he's divorced and so you see him just using more of his own talent as yeah. a singer you have tito who wants to have a tito who already has a food truck that's kind yes. of flopping which is their vehicle for the trip is the yes. food truck he wants to have like um, a froyo sh- cart truck with yeah. gabriel iglesias yeah. so of course his last dance is a sexy thing where he's got like a little ice cream uh, little trolley ice cream scoop yeah, yeah he's got some cherries and some chocolate he, like, sauce that he blasts sprays. uh whipped cream, whipped cream. At people. and at one point i went like oh if you put the chocolate sauce on her it would just be funny <laughs> as hell and he just does it yeah and we went ah we were just losing it it's and then like uh but <laughs> i would have to say out of all the film, out of all the arcs in this film and the characters, nothing is better than Big Dick Richie's because <laughs> Big Dick Richie's arc is a love story where he yeah. try and needs to find the Cinderella to the, his prince. And the Cinderella in this point, instead of the glass slipper, it's just a woman who can handle his how man. big his dick is. Yeah. And so when he finds that woman, his arc is fulfilled, basically. Right, right. 
And I still think headcanon-wise, in Magic Mike's Last Dance, when he's introduced, it's clear that he's still date. He's still with Andy McDowell yeah, yeah. as a trophy husband, which right. I think is perfect yeah. for Big Dick Ritchie. Yep. And then Mike is like basically just in a midlife crisis. He has his furniture company, but it's it's still pretty slow going. And yeah. he, just, he really just wants that. I mean, really, he is just like going on the on the weekend with the boys, getting drunk, having fun. Mike once again is kind of like doesn't exactly undergo an arc in yeah. this movie. It's kind of okay between this movie and last movie, he's kind of progressed in the direction he wants to go. But then this movie comes along and he's got to put his his quote unquote dream on pause to give these boys one last chance to do their thing well if it wasn't for the radio playing pony by genuine that's true none of this would have happened which leads to in my opinion a a dance sequence that is better than anything that was in the first film yeah where he is just literally sliding around his whole tool shed workshop (laughs) and doing my favorite thing which i love just all by himself yeah just the spider like climbing like a monkey yeah he's swinging around like the rafters of his garage swinging on the rafters and then at one point i think he has a bunch of like blueprints and stuff on a table he just slides that all off as he slides his ass on it and it's like yeah this is so much more energetic and fun than i expected it to be yeah and i'm and it just keeps getting more and more from there like the convenience store dance that we talked about earlier i had no idea going into it that it was going to be done while uh big dick richie was high on molly oh yeah so that's very funny to see this high man yeah. try to figure out how to be sexy when it's <laughs> big dick richie right and of course it's too i want it that way by backstreet boys uh-huh which is set up by the fact that the boys are talking about best Florida boy bands. Right, yeah. Which is, oh, God, it's so much fun. Again, none of these films are, like, phenomenal. No. But, again, it's just, there's so much fun. Yeah, I just, yeah. I really thoroughly enjoyed XXL, though. Yes. Like, I think if I had to pick a favorite, it would be this one. Certainly the most rewatchable, I think, just because oh. it's so many oh, yeah. gags and goofs. Um, but what's but also yeah, f- this, it's a blast. Yeah, but it also hilariously, and you can consider this a problem or not, depending on how much of a fan you are of the first film, which will also show up in Last Dance, it'll show that when it comes to a Magic Mike sequel, you the best way to handle a Magic Mike sequel is to almost disconnect yourself as much as possible as you can from the first film. Yeah. Because you literally, I genuinely think you can show somebody XXL and get almost the same amount of excitement and fun out of it. Yeah, because I mean, all yeah, you would, it would literally just be a smidge of context. You would be missing yeah. out. But like, yes. they kind of go over everything in this movie. Yeah. and Brooke mm-hmm. is irrelevant, and yeah, and the it's, kid is irrelevant. And I mean, again, with Jacobs being a good director on this film, and Soderbergh being the DP, there are just a lot of moments here where it's like, I I think to me. What screams their relationship better than anything is when Shani Tatum pulls out the cookie dough to get the cookie dough. The note on it says, let's get fat together, B. And then he just throws both the things in the trash. <laughs> and it's like that that already communicates more yeah. about the relationship than most of what happens in the first film. Yeah. And what happens with XXL is it feels like. Honestly, it feels like they don't necessarily know what they want out of another Magic Mike film. Right. Instead, except for the spectacle. Right. And the fun. And so that's what they lean and on. And that's what they do. They just do the fun spectacle like, version of it. Yeah, and the character study didn't totally pan out. So, like, we're just no, going to kind no, yeah. of have fun with it. And, and they do. Oh, they my God. They make the most of that. It's absolutely the most fun of the three. 
And then after that, in case you forgot what the years were between each film, mm-hmm. there is a good old eight-year gap between <laughs> XXL and Last Dance. I'm sure that was helped along by COVID. And that was, oh, yeah. I mean, it's very clear that that was the case, too, especially yeah. with how Last Dance follows it. But what's f- interesting, though, is you would think, like maybe like me, you would think that there was just like a lull. Like basically yeah. Soderbergh and Tatum were working on other things. They just were like, we don't want to do another Magic Mike film. We kind of don't know what we want to do, which was the case at the time after XXL. But ultimately what happened, though, is that Soderbergh and Gregory Jacobs – basically went into a early production uh pre-production on a stage play which would do the early years of magic mike <laughs> that ultimately got put on hold in 2019 apparently due to creative differences sure. with certain parties but at the same time as that's happening channing with his co-choreographer decide to make a las vegas show that is inspired by the finale of xxl mm. called magic mike live it does incredibly well in Las Vegas. That is kind of what he's mainly focusing on. And then apparently it got so big, it got a London revision. It got a revised show in London. Hmm. That's when Soderbergh saw it. Soderbergh literally had nothing to do with the live show. Yeah. Saw it in London and went, holy shit, we could do a whole Magic Mike film just on like creating something like this for the people. <laughs> Doing a revival in London. Yeah, like, and so they went like, and so Soderbergh got this inspiration and like called up everybody and was like basically had to make the hard decision of like i th- i don't know if they fully kiboshed the broadway show but i think basically put it right. on the shelf it's either this or fully. that yeah. yeah either the movie and or the show decided it would be more interesting to do a film about if you made a magic mike show what would that look like <laughs> And here we are with the latest one, Magic Mike's Last Dance. And to be honest, as much fun as I have with XXL, I think this one might push being my favorite Mm -hmm. just enough. And it's hilarious to say that because I think it's mainly because of how straightforward it is and how less odd it is from the other two. Mm. It's like this is pretty much – I think the way they both described this, I think both Tatum and Soderbergh, or at least one of them described this film, is reverse run a, reverse pretty woman. Okay. This is basically, instead of a beautiful woman falling for a very wealthy male socialite, this is a beautiful man falling yeah. in love with a very wealthy female socialite. Right. And so it's like very, you know, out the gate, you know exactly what kind of film that's going to be, especially with the trailer. If you watch the trailer for this film, it's like, oh, this is... I know what this is going to be. Yeah. And the trailer doesn't the trailer doesn't pull any punches in terms of like trying to hold any secrets. It's exactly right. it's, what it is. It's a show must go on movie. Yeah. It's again Soderbergh's favorite, a show about making things, a film yeah. about making stuff. Yeah. Like it's literally the majority of the film is about Mike teaching a new group of dancers as a director how to do a cabaret show. Yeah, I mean, he's basically. basically teaching, like, classically trained or formally trained dancers how to be strippers. On top of, like, <laughs> on, cool... In a, in a stage yeah. play. On top of cool break dancers. They get this whole crew yeah, together. Yeah. Um, yeah, and with that on top of it, one of the things that I think, going back to the first film when we talked about why that love interest doesn't work, mm-hmm. and it's mainly chemistry, it's one of the reasons why I like Last Dance so much, because I think Salma Hayek as Max Mendoza 
is just like, even though it is a silly premise to have Mike fall in love with truly just a woman completely out of his league yeah. in a in a social status, right, right. financial, like in so many different ways, the the energy and the chemistry that come between the two of them make it believable as to why they'd fall for each other. Yeah. And apparently too, like when Soderbergh in that Vulture article I talked about earlier, when they when he kind of realized, you know, Hayek was perfect for the role. Because another thing too about this film is that originally it was Sandy Newton in the role of yeah. Max. And then due to what ultimately they both say were family reasons, she had to bow out. And they also shot this during COVID. Mm -hmm. And so when Salma came on, they were kind of wondering kind of how much she like was going to go into it. And apparently the way that Soderbergh described it, it's like when they did the initial dance between uh, Mike and Max, it was rated R. But once Salma got in the volve of it, like it's kind of NC-17. Like Salma <laughs> wanted to go all in. Uh, okay. Salma was like, "We could do sex here. We could right, do more. Right, Let right. me lock my arms <laughs> onto him." Like basically, Soderbergh was like, "She will not stop." Uh-huh. She actually, so at one point, he says, "Do you know the scene in the film where she's yelling about there has to be a climax, and she's constantly yelling about like the creative." ideas that she wants to do for a film yeah, yeah. that's just how salma is <laughs> he said like you either are with her or you get out of her way right and it adds a lot of fun chemistry and again i think it works really well in this film because it's fun with mike because mike is basically being thrust upon being a stage director which he is has no yeah. experience with kind of against his will <laughs> I mean, yeah. not not in like a gross way, but no. like it's sprung on him. She's surprised. She doesn't tell him why she's no, no, taking no. him to London. She's like, "I will pay you this money. You just have to come with me." Um, and he's like, "Okay, I'll do it." And then she's like, "All right, guess what? You're directing a play." And he's like, well, yeah. "I can't do that." What? Yeah, basically, she was like, "I have a surprise for you. It's a great job offer. I'm not telling you the job. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna go buy suits for you. I'll buy them. Uh, you look the part." And he's like, "What is? What does all this mean?" Yeah. Uh, it's like okay, fine, and uh, it's it's also fun too when it comes to Last Dance because there was a part I think of me and I didn't know if you were kind of feeling the same way. Where like in the trailer for Last Dance, there was a callback to the original film where the head sorority go- girl in like a police strip right, that right. they did, where he where in the Mike, first film, yeah. yeah, where Mike and the kid dress up as policemen and they go to a sorority house and they strip and whatnot. Uh, the 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 main girl at that party is now a lawyer and married <laughs> and shows up at the charity, charity event. that Mike is bartending. So, of course, she recognizes him. And we just kind of thought, like, at least for me, I was like, oh, is there going to be more scenes like this where it's, like, it's hearkening back where to the original? it's, like, a highlight reel. Yeah, yeah. tongue-in-cheek. But what's so funny about that interaction is that it actually plays into the plot mm-hmm. because that girl actually recommends mike to max because max is so sexually frustrated right now right kim kim the sorority girl now lawyer uh believes that mike will she's you know, like hey that guy's a stripper you should hire yeah. him to take care of your needs oh it's it's great it's, <laughs> and, and the dance they do together is great I, another yeah. reason why i think i like last dance the most is the dancing the dancing it's, is it's the it's most like art. yeah it's the most kind of just bodies in motion artistic mm-hmm. of any of the three less about kind of laughs or you yeah. know the, the eroticism and more oh, about yeah. just like it's incredible that people can move like this isn't it <laughs> which <laughs> like that's kind of the point yeah. of all every dance scene. which from the max strip tease at the very beginning to the fucking finale water dance 
which Soderbergh says took 10 hours to shoot. What? Took 10 hours. He apparently got on a tiny seat yeah. with coasters on it, uh-huh. and they couldn't cut as much because everything's raining. Right, right. So he had to do what he doesn't really like to do that Multi-camera. much. Multi-camera. Well, he had to do a lot of one takes, a lot uh, of a lot yeah, of long, yeah. long takes. takes. Yeah. And he apparently said it just the it was very labor extent, like you know, and huh. it was very exhausting, and so like. He was basically just wheeling himself on a tiny little yeah. chair, getting the, getting Going the camera around right. The stage. Said it took ten hours to shoot, huh. but no one complained, yeah. and they all were great. And that's also a fun thing about Soderbergh that I love is in that same interview, they basically he the interviewer talks about like you know how do you feel about you know like when a lot of people try to really push the oneer and the one you know the one take and just like really trying to push not having to cut. And like Soderbergh's like, I don't, I just don't understand why you would take away one of the best tools you have as a filmmaker, yeah. editing. editing. <laughs> and it's like the cut, yeah. and it's like that is Soderbergh in a fucking nutshell. Yeah, he's a professional. That is, that he's like ex- a working yeah. man. He is. He's literally like, I don't care about the cut. I actually love the cut. Right. It's my favorite part of this process. It's like a yeah, a modern day newspaper mm. editor being like, yeah. why would you do this by hand when you have a computer? Because guess what? Guess guess who also is the DP and editor on. On this fucking film yep. Soderbergh himself yep. and when he talks about being the DP and stuff in the article he just like basically goes like I know I'm not he's like listen I've already just accepted I'm not a fucking Lubeski or Deacons You're right I just I he's just, just like, trying to convey yeah. the story he's, he's like I just like control and I really like getting into the action yeah and the passion in the action yeah. it's like yeah the man just like it's yeah you see that action in this film There's yeah so I mean, much love and care put into like just the little parts of each absolutely and cranny and doesn't mean everything works I, I do think the one thing that we can both agree on i feel like doesn't work and was extremely intentional by soderbergh is the narration aspect of it yeah the narration's a little weird there, uh, max's yeah. daughter yes i can't remember her name zadie yeah sadie with the z and it's kind of at first like she narrates the opening of the film and we're not sure who it is and then eventually we're introduced to her mm-hmm. And we kind of get the idea. And she's, I don't know, it's maybe half a dozen voiceover lines throughout the movie. Yeah. It's yeah. not a ton, but it's like mm-hmm. kind of recurring enough to where it's like, I don't really feel like this is adding anything. Yeah, Soderbergh, he talked about like a lot of the inspirations in that article about like he had three directors in mind that gave him inspiration for the film. All three directors, which made me insecure about my own love of films. I didn't I didn't recognize no, any, any, of any of them. <laughs> but one of them was like very much like both him and I believe writer Ree Carolyn, who has written every single one of the Magic Mike yeah. films, has also written the Chaining Tatum film Dog, which came yeah. out last year, which fun fact there. Um, but basically they were both in love with the idea of like one of the directors used to make these you know, fun cast of characters that were very, like, interesting and kind of quirky and, like, in the 30s, which is where the butler Victor and the teenage daughter Zadie come from. And apparently Soderbergh said, like, there was just some, there were some lines that he really wanted to convey in the film, but, like, just have (laughs) no sense of subtlety. They just wanted to be out there. Like, this is how important dance is. This is how it is. And he just couldn't find the way to say it other than literally having someone say it. (laughs) And apparently there were earlier cuts where, like, he actually had Victor say some lines. So it was going to be Victor and Zadie telling the story. Yeah. And so he he thought it was interesting. I mean, it seemed like he, the way he talked about it was, like, he thought it was interesting to have a teenager 
recognize the love of her mother and yeah. Mike better than they can understand it themselves. Sure, sure. But ultimately, it does take you out of the film. Yeah. Very little, but. less and less with each one, but even then it does feel a little like, oh, okay. Yeah. This it, is different. It makes more sense as the movie goes, but Zadie is also a pretty underdeveloped aspect of the story. She is, yes. Um, so it kind of... I, I can definitely see now looking back like that like what they were going for that kind of youthful perspective of her of her mother's love and that is cool I appreciate that but it also doesn't really hit mm-hmm. because we what, don't know Zadie that well what, what and... you what you're really saying is you want a scene where Max forgets to pick up Zadie at school so Mike has to do it and there's a right. fun you yeah, know, yeah. a rambunctious romp, romp. Yeah. you know she likes well, a guy and so he has to help her yeah. and... or like a scene where Zadie walks in on Max and Mike yeah. oh whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa yeah you know lighthearted stuff you know what's um, funny though is I was joking about what I said but like how Channing is as an actor, I think he could sell that. He would. He because, he would have no problem. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the, their interact, their uh, introduction to one another is one of the funniest parts of the film. Uh-huh. Where she just like shows up while they're talking, and he goes, "And who the hell are you?" Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, you're the daughter." It's just I love those like I love when people of very different ages like don't treat each other any different yeah. for their age. Like he just is talking to this teenage girl, and he's just mm-hmm. like, "What?" Who are you? What's your problem? Because yeah, Zadie kind of talks. Zadie co- talks like a teenager trying to sound like an adult. Yeah. Well, Mike just sounds like a guy, <laughs> and it's just like why, like a, just a regular guy that is just like when yeah. all these big words are being thrown at him, and it's like okay, that's cool, but like, what do you really mean by yeah. that? Yeah. Like, and I do like their relationship. I think even though it's very, very underdeveloped and it's very minuscule, I think. You can see why Zadie would like Mike over her own dad. Right. <laughs> Which is also just like... Well, yeah, we're showing no reason to like her dad. <laughs> yeah, and, but and her dad is also underdeveloped. Yeah. You basically find out that he had sex with an assistant, which is why they're having a divorce, Max and... Yeah. And Roger, her And Max her is going to lose all her wealth her. once the divorce happens. Yes. Which I will admit, I do like the fact that there is not at the very end, like, haha, there's a loophole, Max, you're right. still rich. No, yeah, they commit to No, they, they commit to the fact that Max is just not going to yeah. have any money. And yeah. that's fine. I mean, I, I do like that. And I think if the Max-Mike relationship might have been a bit more developed, that would hit a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. But I think I think an issue I had not necessarily with their relationship because their chemistry is great and oh, they wonderful. make sense together. Um, I think I had an issue with the, kind of the way Max's character developed as the movie went on because it's kind of you know the the big kind of second act going into the finale mm-hmm. point of conflict is. Max is kind of ready to give up on the show because her husband has screwed her over, is Mm -hmm. trying to take the theater away from her, and she's just like, well, that's it. We're screwed. Pack it in. And Mike, you know, who is fully committed to making this thing happen, they're like a day away from or something Mm -hmm. from the show happening, um, and he calls her out, and he's like, no, you're being a quitter. You know, you're giving up. And then she leaves, and she goes home and yeah. she sticks her head under her pillow and doesn't come back until Mike puts the show on two days later. And it's like it totally divorces her from kind of the big project of the movie. Well, yeah. It, and it, I know it is Mike's show, but like it feels a little 
It very like, much... like Zadie calls her out earlier in the movie and calls her like, or somebody says she's like the queen of the first act or whatever, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. she, she goes through these phases and changes her mind about what she wants she every two minutes. Yeah. She projects. Mike's just her little pet project to keep her entertained for now. Cause she's which... crazy. And which feels like the movie telling you is a misunderstanding of the character yeah. by these other people. It's mm-hmm. she's misunderstood. But then the end of the movie kind of reinforces that. And it's like, oh, I guess this was just kind of a little project for her. And Mm -hmm. yeah, she loves it. And she loves Mike. And that's awesome. But it's like seeing her just in the crowd watching this thing that Mike kind of made without her. Well, it's just I, a little bit like mm. I always just, I just kind of I thought it implied to the film that everything was pretty much done except for that water dance. Sure. Because like it seemed like the way they were talking is like there's no finale. There's no climax. We need yeah. that. And that's why she wants the Romanian guys just dance, which honestly, yeah. thank God they don't have in the film. Not that it's not good, but it literally has nothing. It feels very much out of place compared to everything else they're the, doing. Where she's like, oh, we have to have this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Like his whole dance. I thought that was going to be like a weird arc or I thought she was going to like possibly fuck that guy and be into him. Uh-huh. And then she'd have to choose like, yeah. is she really going to? Yeah. You you had suggested that maybe he was going to be the kind of centerpiece of the show and then he'd get hurt and Mike mm-hmm. would have to take over. But, but no, um, no. Thankfully, Mike had his own part. Thankfully, that guy was really cool and really <laughs> good dancer. And yeah. Again, what's so funny about the reasons why I like, at least me personally, I like Magic Mike's Last Dance, it really is just like at a basic level, like just doing the standard movie things but well. Yeah. Where it's like, it, it literally, it's, it's fucking funny how we're in the third film in this trilogy and it takes this long for them to be like, we have a love interest that works. Yeah. Where it's like, it's so funny in Last we Dance. We did this every yeah. time and it never worked. Yeah. When like yeah. Mike just says like, you know, me and love just don't get together. And it's like, hold on. <laughs> hold on a second. I'm not saying you have to think Chain Tatum's the sexiest man alive. Not saying that. But I think objectively speaking, he you could understand why people, a lot of people think he's attractive. Yeah. He is attractive in a very unique way because he just looks like a guy. Yeah. He looks like a normal dude. But I think it's like, it's just funny to think that like, it almost has the same energy. And it's not trying to be, but has the same energy as like, a she's all that where it's just you put glasses and a ponytail mm-hmm. on some on a woman and it's just like oh i'm so ugly and it's like no yeah. you're not yeah. no what are you talking about and it's like when you hear mag say like i just i'm not good with women it's like what are you talking about well it's also it's, like quit it we've not seen one way or the other that is because it's like because like it's fair i'm not disagreeing with you i'm saying part of the reason that it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like it makes sense is because like okay we haven't really seen we didn't see yeah. his relationship with Brooke fail. We just no. heard that it failed, and we didn't know why. But listen, you know, it's definitely he had no on chemistry Brooke. with Amber Heard. So yeah, definitely on Brooke. Yeah, I'm on Team Mike on that one. Oh, Mike for Mike. sure. And also, I'm just great saying, at- it's like Mike saying, "Oh, me and yeah. women don't get along." It's like, well, we don't know that. Yeah, which is again goes into your point of like, there's just a bit, a bit too underdeveloped. Yeah. Which I think the closest we get to Mike as an actual romantic partner, pros and cons, is with Rome in the second one. Mm-hmm. Or like, but even then, yeah, when they ex- hint that yeah. yeah, when even he explains why he left, even then it's like he's not a bad guy, right? Well, then why the fuck is he having a hard time fighting somebody? <laughs> and then of course it leads to the most silly scenario of like, hi, my name is Max. I have a lot of money and also an old prestigious London theater. Yeah. You're my new director, right? And it's like this is. This is a fantasy, but I'm I'm down. Her for- new director or her nude erector. Oh, nice, mm. nice. Everyone's gonna love that joke. Woo. 
But I do think it's funny that too for the ladies. Because I think I told you because like. I think at a certain point, I will admit, I was just like, I think Mike kind of just deserves this. Uh-huh. As a character, it's like, even just though we've got... let him have it. Because I do love the fact that, like, the one thing that I think Mike has as a arc in this entire trilogy is just finally finding the nice in-between in terms of, like, his hobby and his passion. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, he's not making glass tables out of propane tanks like he kind of wanted to. Yeah. But instead, he has found a way to use all the talent and love that he put into stripping that he wouldn't admit because it's taboo. Right. And finally found something where it's not taboo mm-hmm. and will actually be respected and appreciated. Right. And ultimately finds the perfect job for him, which I think yeah. is really, a, which is very cool and I think is definitely intentional on Soderbergh and Tatum. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. And that is, I think, kind of looking at the trilogy as a whole is kind of its most interesting aspect and it's like it winds up being a positive by the end but it's a little bit frustrating as you're making your way through it because like we think we tend to think of like character arcs as like okay yes if you have a series there can be an arc that goes over multiple Mm -hmm. films but like there should also be the arc within each film and in each one of these there's not that much of an arc for mike from beginning to end of each film yeah but then when you kind of once last dance is said and done you can look back and you can see okay the first movie is about him being disillusioned mm-hmm. and unsatisfied with his current line of work. His second film is, okay, he, he is trying to make it happen, but he's kind of held back by yeah. his, his attachment to it. And then the third, and then film, the third film is film, Pandemic. To, yeah, <laughs> Pandemic. And then, okay, yeah, he's finally able to marry his love of dance with the the kind of, the you know, the performing <laughs> arts and that sort of thing. Did you really, because in my brain I was like, it's the fucking pandemic. There's no way his he's doing this shit because the pandemic fucked his furniture. <laughs> oh, up you mean how like, at the beginning he's yeah. bartending instead yeah, of yeah? Because I was like, I saw that trailer and I was like, it's got to be the pandemic. <laughs> There's no way it's not. Um, and yeah, it's just it's such it's a lot of fun. I I think to me yeah. as much as XXL is a lot of is very fast. I think and I just boisterous. like I do like how Last Dance is also pretty quick and straightforward enough that like. Yeah. You can follow the pace. There's nothing really holding it back. And when it gets to the very end, it ends. It yeah. just ends. And while I do think that there probably could have been a bit more they could have done with that ending, I do think it's a solid end. Yeah. I mean, Mike has always just been portrayed as a really simple guy. So it kind of yeah. makes sense for his story to just be simple and yes. straightforward and end very kind of definitively and obviously. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I, th- I mean, this movie wins a lot of points by making its finale so good. Like oh, the dance. Oh my god! Again, I mean, it's it's there's... the single. It's easily the single best piece of like choreography in the whole trilogy. It, every yeah, every way I've described it to people in terms of the last scene is like when we were in the theater together, uh, for not Valentine's Day, I guess. Was it Valentine's Day, bro? Valentine? What do we What do we call it? Oh, just, for us? Yeah, just the Valentine's Valentine's Day. Day. That's right. When we were there watching it together, like I mean, Andy has a Andy does a good job of like when he shows his excitement, he doesn't verbally just say it out loud <laughs> while watching a film. But I, at certain times in a film, will do that. And uh-huh. so when we're watching the water dance, I'm going, "Damn, <laughs> shit, fuck!" I was like, "This is so good." Uh-huh. It's like it's like oh he slid. <laughs> it's like yeah. uh, and you, you just were giggling. Yeah, I tend like... to laugh when I'm impressed because <laughs> yeah. I'm just like whoa. Because it was very impressive. It was definitely like it felt like the culmination of everything we've seen in these films. Yeah, and also just shows 
while Gregory Jacobs, I think, does a great job with the dancing in the court and like the filming and helping with the direction in XXL, you just see a difference when Soderbergh's back in the chair. Mm-hmm. Like, I think of like the how, kind of passion behind yeah, it. Yeah, just how think how funny is an XXL when the pony scene shows up and. You know, Matt Mike just goes right into dancing in his workshop right. while in X while in Last Dance. Before he even gets into his dance with Max, he checks every table, every chair, how <laughs> the floors are like. My favorite part in that scene, the scene, the the dance itself is phenomenal. But my favorite part is still when he wants to absolutely spider monkey on a bar and he jumps up and just starts shaking it yeah, yeah. just to see how sturdy it is. And that just <laughs> and feels, you know exactly what yeah. he's doing. Oh, yeah, and it just feels very much that's a Soderbergh thing where it's like in most cases people would just go right into the dance. Yeah. But to show how much of Mike is a professional and is willing to like do everything safe, mm-hmm. the fact that there's a consent thing too where it's like, if you don't like it, something I'm doing, she goes, I'll slap the fuck out of you. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that works too. Right. And just like, there's, there's a lot of good stuff there that I think like other directors could do, but it's clear that like Soderbergh is just really in tune with Mike as the character and what he wants from yeah. this character. And I think overall the magic Mike trilogy is just a really, to me, all three of these films are like a three and a half out of five. Yeah. Like a Very solid, just area. And to be honest, even though they're not all ten out of tens, they're yeah, it's no before trilogy, but I'll I'll take a consistent trilogy over like fucking ebbs and flows that the, are just the like second best romance trilogy covered on this podcast of all time. Yes, it's it's not Clerks. <laughs> I, I had to think I saw off the top of my head. I don't think we've done any other romance trilogies. I don't know if we have. We, we'll besides definitely... before. No, but we'll definitely, I mean, we're going to, we've talked about in the past, but we want to do Wong Kar Wai, so we'll yeah, definitely be definitely doing, doing that, that in the future. Don't know uh, if we have the patience to wait for next Valentine's Day, but we're definitely doing it. Even, I mean, we got we got enough. We can find something else Valentine's Day related for True. the next time. But yeah, that's the Magic Mike trilogy. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it really is. I'm really happy that it was as fun as it was, because like, it just, it, there was a part of me that was worried that like, okay, like. You know, this has been eight years. Like, there's a yeah. fucking HBO Max show that is like a, a talent, like live act. Right. Like, there's a competition show. Like, <laughs> Magic Mike's at a point. Do you really need to get this third one? And then going mm-hmm. into it, I was like, I mean, this is this is a crowd pleaser. It's a lot of fun, especially yeah. like the other two films. Now, if you're someone that's like a weird, not not weird, I guess weird, like super into like, God, I hope the kid makes an appearance in three. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. franchise fan. Yeah, I hate to break this. it to you. Like, XXL, Last Dance is very disconnected from, like, Brooke, Kid, Dallas. Uh, yeah. It does have, Andy did allude to it earlier, and we hadn't talked about it fully, it does have probably one of the best Zoom call scenes I've ever seen because oh, yeah. the connection sucks ass. Yeah, well, and and that's very, that's very realistic. for you. He does yeah. tech super realistic. Oh, my God. Like, everybody, the phones, yes. you see the light on their faces from the screens. So like, it's good. all very naturally so done. So well done. And, um, and, yeah, the lagging in this is yeah. awful. But, but yeah, I know it's a bit of a trope about the, like, you know, dragging your boyfriend to see, you know, this film on Valentine's oh, or something. Yeah. But, like, in all honesty, I think all three films are just – entertaining enough yeah as films that anyone can really enjoy them yeah they strike a really good balance i mean the you know the first one kind of suffers from like trying to be a character study and not having enough character um but like in just in terms of tone and audience they're all it's not too 
you know, chick flick. It's not too dude bro-y. It's kind of no. got both. Um, and it's ultimately just fun and like kind of full of, you know, people doing things they're really good at and passionate about. And it, that's infectious. In a basic level, it's like, yeah, all these muscular guys are super hot and do really cool, sexy dances. But what are they feeling? <laughs> and it's like, weirdly, it just does both pretty well. But why are they doing it? Why? What do they do outside of stripping? Right. And it's like there is a there is a, a universe where this film is basically Showgirls 2. Uh-huh. Like the first one is, but like thankfully it isn't, and I feel like yeah. it's led to a trilogy that is actually, I think if you want to watch all three films, you will be rewarded with just better dancing in each film, just a fun time overall, and just yeah, I mean I think perfect for a Galentine's. If you're out there thinking like, what's perfect trilogy for Galentine's Day? Get all the girls together <laughs> and watch watch six hours of something it yeah it's i guess it's magic mike i guess it's gotta be that (laughs) it is really interesting to think that like this kind of big you know uh, studio boisterous goofy trilogy spawned out of like what was meant to be like kind of a quiet little character study about a stripper uh, Mm -hmm. very low-key i mean obviously you still have some of the silliness in that movie but like i I assume the budget only got up like a little bit over 20 million yeah i feel like it's uh, 19 oh again wait no 45 was the budget 45 45 million damn i guess well they are going overseas yeah they are they are shooting a lot and it's a i mean a lot of the dances there's a lot of production and prep and there's a lot to it. So well, I guess that makes Channing sense. Channing costs more these days. And Plus also you got Salma. Yeah. You got Salma too. And uh, again, I, I give more praise to Salma. I, she gives me both her and Michelle Yeoh give me just great energy as actresses mm-hmm. where it's like, like even, they just gotta be pleasant people yeah, to work yeah. with. Even when they're on something that like clearly is not their usual forte or something that is just like maybe bad or like, I mean, for example, for something like the fact that Michelle Yeoh can do like the new Star Trek shows, yeah. but also do everything everywhere all at once. Or mm-hmm. the fact that like Salma can do this and can do super serious films, but also do like be an eternal oh, right. <laughs> and yeah. just sell it as best as she can. Yeah. Being a character named Ajax <laughs> and just to be like and just sell it as best she can. Like, I think it's it's. It's what the film, especially a trilogy, what this finale really needs is someone who has just invested as much as Soderbergh, Tatum, Carolyn, everyone else on the film is. Yeah. And yeah. Well, that is the film for the ladies. <laughs> and next, I mean, the ladies could like these next two trilogies too, but I feel oh, like sure. we're we're going we're going into the ring. We're doing something yeah. maybe more more sweat and more, more muscle, sweat, more muscle, and more, more blood. skin on skin action. Yeah, and guess what? A surprise! We are going to introduce both two of our next trilogy. <laughs> it's a double header. It's a double header because back to back we are doing the end of Rocky, which is Rocky four through six. And you're wondering why are we doing four through six? Because our next trilogy is the Creed trilogy. Right. We are doing. The back half of Rocky, talking about how after you make three of probably three of the biggest films of their time, <laughs> how do you top those three films? Right. Going well, into yeah. Also, I think the the end of Rocky, all those those three movies all have a very interesting and kind of different answer oh, to where you go absolutely. after you've made a big 
blockbuster trilogy, Oscar-winning trilogy. And I don't know if any of them have the perfect answer no, at no, all. No. And then after that, it's like, well, to a degree, what is what do you do after Rocky? What if you want to do Rocky again, but not, but not do Rocky? Yeah, again. not do Rocky Seven. <laughs> well, then we'll do the Creed trilogy. Yeah, we're talking about, of course, Creed One, Two, and Three. Right. Very. Because three is coming out March third. Yeah. So because of that, on March fourth is when our end of Rocky trilogy will be out, and then the following week on March eleventh is when we'll have the Creed trilogy. We are doing back to back weeks. Yep. Definitely to make up for the fact that like due to us prepping for both, you know, yeah. Magic Mike and also preparing ourselves mentally for the Santa Clauses. We're a little bit <laughs> first several weeks episodes. of the work weeks of the year world. Yeah. yeah. But a little sparse. But, but we're because, making up for it. Yeah, we are we are making up for it. We are we are doing our research. We are watching every and Rocky man, film. I'm and so excited for Creed three. I am too. Just I'm, as a new looking ahead to a new release. I I really enjoyed both of the first two. Yeah. And I go well, I need I want to see three in IMAX. I genuinely oh, want yeah. to see it in IMAX, and I'm excited to see and and I'm excited to see Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut. Because I think yeah. this is his directorial debut. Uh, feature, anyway, yeah. Yeah, feature, yes. Yeah. But it'll be fun to see, like, for a series that is built off of six other films, <laughs> how did it get to, like, technically the ninth film in, yeah. a, in a universe? It's now how on par with it? the mainline Star Wars saga. <laughs> yes. It's like, how do you get to that point and still keep that consistent quality? And we will be excited to talk about it because we're talking about classics all the way up to the new stuff. Yeah. And we're excited. So, yeah, tune in on March 4th for our next trilogy, The End of Rocky. But until then... I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening.